Thank you for listening to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm Dave Wakeman, your host, and this is my opportunity to talk to leaders in the world of entertainment and experiences about the challenges and opportunities created when you're trying to create memories and entertain others. My guest today is a good friend of mine, Lauren Teague. Lauren is the former social media director, the first social media director of the PGA Tour. I wanted to have her on because she has a really cool concept that I think we all can learn from called real-time content. And it was very interesting to talk to Lauren about this because she was able to give us some actionable ideas about how you can make your content both engaging, uh, urgent, and also use content as a way to drive people into your events, into your building, to care about what you're doing and what you're trying to communicate. She tells a really cool story about um, being the first person to know that Tiger Woods was about to go um, back on the PGA Tour. Uh, She shares a lot about her connection to the Dallas Stars and the way that engaging with people in social platforms has really meaningful impact. I mean, it was like probably the longest episode I've done so far. And I think we probably could have gone twice as long. Um, it was really great. I hope you dig it. Um, let's get to Lauren. Lauren, thanks for being on the business of fun podcast. How are you? Hi, Dave. Hey. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad we get a chance to talk like this. This is going to be fun. Um, I wanted to have you on today because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that I think we all should be learning more about and all should be focusing on doing a little bit better job at, which is real-time content, and especially real-time content in the idea of helping use it to engage audiences and then driving mm-hmm. them into your buildings or into your events. Um can you give us like a little brief overview of where real-time content is right now and kind of like um, maybe two or three points of uh, actionable emphasis that we can go ahead and, you know, right from the start and focus our conversation on? Well, absolutely. So it's, it's something that I've done my entire sports career or actually my, my entire career. Um, I started at the PGA tour 10 years ago um, this year and when I started, immediately I was asked, well, how do we make the Players' Championship, one of their premier events, you know, take advantage of, quote unquote, social media? And I was the first social media employee at the time. And I was like, let's do this thing called Twitter. Well, nobody knew what Twitter was, so they let me do it, right? And that's really the first taste of producing real-time content um, in golf. But even in sports, uh, we are the first live event or event to go live on Twitter. Um, and I got a little t-shirt from Twitter as a thank you for that. So, uh, we have been doing real time content for 10 years. We started with the players championship the following spring. We launched uh, PGA tour live, um, live competition updates, uh, with the Accenture match play. And ever since I've, I've seen how live content, real time content just really enhances an event. So, it, it allows you to be right within the action as the audience, even if you can't be right within the door. And in my mind, it allows you, it gives you the urging to, as a customer, as a fan, to buy a ticket, to tune into the game, to use social as that second screen experience. And what I've seen real-time content do is move from a play-by-play emphasis into more of that fan perspective, right? So instead of you're not going to watch Twitter instead of tune into the broadcast if you can watch the broadcast. But 
you might watch Twitter to feel like you're, you're in a sports bar or you're in the atmosphere, um, of the arena because people are writing content in a way that, uh, that really brings you into the moment and really celebrates that great play, that great hit, that home run, that game winning goal. Uh, and, and so that's really, really fun. So when I think of real time content now, it really has to be, um, it's gotta be rapid, right? You've gotta be quick on the ball. You've gotta be right with the action. It's not really real time. If you are writing about it, you know, 15 minutes later, or you're trying to, uh, send some marketing message in the middle of, you know, the game winning shot. It's not really real time. So real time has to be rapid. It definitely has to be engaging. You want to come from the fans perspective. You want to give something new, something behind the scenes as a content owner. Um, that's really where you're going to stand out. Otherwise anybody, anybody can do this, right? Fan on their couch can do this. Uh, media member and media row can do this. Marketing team can do it. But as the content owner, um, you can really, really bring an engaging perspective. Um, it has to be also really lively, right? You want to build that engagement. You want to go fan uh, to the fans, come back to the fans, you know, be responding to them in real time. Use that social listening power um, to really enhance your real-time content. And that also means um, responding and engaging, but actively reposting content from users that you see, reposting content from celebrities that are chiming in, you know, to a big game, that kind of thing. Um, paying as much attention to the inbound, what's coming to you as what, what you're trying to produce. And that requires actually then more than one person, right? I was a social team of one for four years. It's really, really hard. Um, and now luckily we're seeing that, especially in sports, content teams are not just one person. They are multiple people and they're people in the video editing suite, cutting highlights. They are people in the audio suite, you know, cutting down audio clips and sounds so that they can be packaged with tweets. It's your creative team being right with us, being right next to a writer. Um, and in a talk that I give called rehearse for real time, I break down team structure. So, you know, if you have one or two people, here's a handful of the things that you can do and really nail those few things really well. But if you have a team of five or 10 people, here's how you can break it down, including people to work on your paid and your boosting for social, for those big things that you need uh, to be seen, especially sponsored messages. Um, you need maybe an executive producer who's just directing and putting everything together. Um, you're going to need a team of writers. You're going to need someone in social listening. You're going to need graphic designers and photographers or videographers or what have you to pull all of this content. And that's really where real time content is right now, especially in sports and especially in newsrooms and big events where, you know, you have one shot to get it right. And that's why I say you have to rehearse and plan so that you're ready. And when that moment comes where your content has to be great. I'm glad I asked that question at the front because that was a really great answer. Um, and it like opened up so many doors for us to talk about. Um, okay. The first thing that I really like that came to mind as you were giving me all of this information, almost too much for me to keep up with all my notes here, was, you know, I thought about the Premier League in the USA Twitter account. I think that's at PL in USA, um, their Twitter account. As far as like social listening and engaging, um, I think they do a fantastic job. Um, 
also the Vegas Golden Knights since, you know, I'm in D.C., so I obviously want the Caps to win. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the, the, the Golden Knights have done a fantastic job of their marketing just in general, but they're, especially in their social marketing has been mm-hmm. in, incredible. And then um, it also reminds me of something that I saw on Twitter last night as we were recording this is uh, Jess Smith, I think, um, is with the New York Yankees. She was talking about the need for uh, teams and organizations to grow, and she was kind of mentioning how um, – some of the European clubs are just so much better and just invest in this so much more. And, sure. you know, and I think it's great, um, you know, that like kind of opening up the door and there's like such great examples. So to reel this all back in and, and kind of talk about stuff in a, a uh, focused way, as opposed to like just rambling on, uh, what does, what would be your advice as far as responding and engaging goes? Because I think that that's one of the most powerful ways that people can feel connected to the event and connected to uh, their team that they follow or, you know, or even specific players. And I see that there's a wide variance in the ability for teams to, uh, or, or people to do it well. Um, as I mentioned, the Premier League uh, in the U.S. does a fantastic job, and I think the Vegas Knights do a great job. Um, but just as often, you see teams that just sort of they broadcast, but they never really <laughs> engage. You know, and, and so what would be some advice you would give teams and organizations, because you know, also even cultural organizations, on responding and engaging and using that as a tool to bring people closer to them? Right. Well. It's hard because I started social so long ago that social media was truly social, right? You could make friends on Twitter. You could um, get to know people. And it wasn't just like this virtual RSS like feed disguised as billboards. And so when I'm talking to clients, when I'm talking to teams about how to be lively and engaging, you know, the first place I go, and it's cliche, but I really want help to help people put social in quotes, back into social media. You have to be active and available on both ends of the conversation to really drive that engagement. And I tr- I tell you that nobody loves engagement more than the person behind the keyboard publishing all this stuff as the, as the brand or the account owner. Because when someone likes our content or leaves us comments, it warms our hearts. You know, you get that little rush of like, ooh, someone likes me. Um, so when you're creating and posting all this content, you it feels really impressive. But if you're not getting engagement, you notice that too. And that really crushes that feeling of like, why am I here? Isn't anyone paying attention? What's different? Well, if you don't have a set voice and tone from the organization that, you know, carries through your marketing messages, carries into your social channels, carries into your video, you've got to have that same voice and tone so that you match the energy of events. So if, if something, you know, it's in front of you, I, I'm from Portland. I paid a lot of attention, obviously, to the Northwest teams, but the Portland Trailblazers, I've seen do a great job of really matching the energy of the event with their tweets, um, specifically in, you know, and again, from that fan voice almost of they'll use emojis when things aren't going their way, right? When they don't really have anything exciting to say because they're, you know, it's not working for them they're using different content to to still portray the voice of the fan. They're matching the the energy of the event. And then when the team makes their comeback or, or takes the lead again, you know, they're right there. They're still in it. They're still being in, engaging and, and lively. So the thing about social media and sports is that's fun, right? Our events are unique. Our jobs are fun. Everybody 
wants to be the social person for our team sport, you know, in the back of their head, you're like locker room access behind the scenes, like get to be courtside at every game. Now, granted, that's probably not the reality, but that's what people think. So they want to be engaged. They want to give you your attention. So when you hold the audience and their experience in your fingers and you can match their energy, you can, you can respond to them in real time. That's really when magic happens. And I really see a void in social listening. Now you said some of the teams really do that well, but I, I see that social listening um, and paying attention to what's being said around your brand, around your hashtags, in your arenas, in your stadiums, that's a huge missed opportunity. And if we have time, I can tell you a quick story about how that happened to me. Go go ahead. I w- I'm really curious about the social listening because that's one of those words or terms that gets thrown around a lot. And yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that one of the patterns I've seen develop in this podcast is that some of these things that are cliches or get thrown around – I want to figure out what they are and so that yeah. like I can explain it to people in a way that makes sense as opposed to just like, going, well, everybody should know what social listening is. So if you could explain it to us, that would be awesome. Yeah. So social listening is looking at all of the inbound messages that are going on in social. So in inbound, I mean like everything else that everybody else is saying, whether they're mentioning your team, your players, your coach, um, your organization, your venue, using your branded hashtags or not. You know, they can be doing um, using their own hashtags, their own team hashtags. And as a team or a brand, you need to know not just what your branded content and hashtags look like, but also what the fan voice is so that you can pay attention, so that you can pull those into a Hootsuite or a TweetDeck stack. You can use a tool like Cision or Sprout Social or, or Sprinkler as a social listening tool to pull in all of that content and then get smart about uh, what you're seeing so that you can direct it to the right person. Say if someone has an issue with their tickets, someone has an issue with their seat, someone has an issue with their in-game experience, that that's being routed appropriately. Someone has, um, you know, someone saying something or a a rising issue around a player or a coach, you know, you need to know that right away. Well, that's not going to happen if you're not paying attention to what's being said in social media about your team and your brand. I learned that Tiger Woods was coming back in 2010 after his um, surgeries and after his uh, fallout because I was paying attention to Twitter. Nobody else at the PGA Tour saw the tweet that I saw that said, Tiger's about to announce his comeback. And I had to see it, sit on it, well, flag it, send it to everybody I knew that was in the same meeting that I wasn't in, and said, this is going to happen. We have to be ready. Let's go. Now, even though we had a policy that we weren't going to break news until it was confirmed, right? We weren't going to break news. We were going to make right news. Um... I got us rolling on that ball. So if you aren't paying attention to social listening uh, and what's being said around in social media, you're going to miss those opportunities. Case in point, my husband and I are big. Well, my husband is a big Dallas Stars fan. That's where any of my hockey knowledge comes from. So as a uh, as a partnership, I also am now a big Dallas Stars fan. We go to a game every New Year's Eve since we've been dating. So now almost 10 years, uh, we've been to the New Year's Eve game. And that's fantastic. So last year, we were on the train from Fort Worth to Dallas. We're tweeting. I'm posting like parents night out. We're going to go to the hockey game. This is exciting. This is my eighth one in nine years. Um, and I'm tagging Dallas stars like crazy, right? Then they're running a promotion when you get into the arena to take a selfie with a player. So I'm posting, here's my seat. Da, da, da. Now, if you're paying attention to social listening and you have any inkling of strategy in mind, are you going to pick the person who posted a picture who has 50 followers and a closed Instagram account to post a selfie with a player? Are you going to pick someone who's got 
thousands of followers, uses hashtags, engages with the brand, and potentially gets better reach. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting in that seat anymore, but I would think that if you layered any ounce of strategy over that, you could be very strategic and start picking people at random with purpose, with intent. And and sometimes because social is sometimes siloed in an, in an organization, put with a content team, put with a digital team, and not really, um, not always part of a, a holistic strategy, I see those missed opportunities, right? So that's a, that's a nice way to kind of get a, a viral push every time that you do that. Maybe not every time, maybe you don't have the right people in, in the building, but if you do use that. The other thing is I was, again, same game, tweeting, 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 mentioning Dallas Stars. Well, the warm-up music was really good. I followed the the Dallas Stars announcer, the in-game announcer. So I sent him a note, like a, a tweet, a public tweet that said, love the warm-up music, um, you know, is this available anywhere? Well, of everybody in the Dallas Stars organization that probably has a Twitter account, the guy who's announcing in the middle of the game is probably not the first person that you would think would be on the front lines responding to people. But sure enough, midway through the game, like probably in an intermission, I got a note back from him, a public reply, and he tagged the in-game DJ in the arena, who then sent me in another public tweet the link to the Dropbox file where the the warm-up mix was. So now I've downloaded it. I play it for my four-year-old all the time while he practices hockey in mini sticks. And I'm like, that's fantastic. So socials can't be locked in your social team or in your content team. Everybody has the opportunity to have a Twitter account. Everybody has the opportunity to do social listening, to respond and engage. And teams should be empowering, brands should be empowering their employees in a way that says, yes, you can do this. And yes, there's some right ways to do this. But the guy who was literally in the middle of his job, which was not to tweet and not to respond, was tweeting and responding to people in the state in the arena, which was fantastic. And I think that's a huge missed opportunity for ticket sellers, marketers, etc. Because you can put this information into your CRM, right? You can know when that person who just bought their first round of tickets from you is in the building and you can see what they're saying, right? Maybe they're there for a specific player. Well, can you bonus them? Can you surprise them? Can you give them something um, that that ties them back to you, you know, even a follow for all your tweets. Here's a, you know, here's a something from this player or from the organization just to get you back in the, in, in the game. So you talk about social listening, there's that piece of like what's online, but then the smartest organizations are tying that back into actionable data across the organization. And that's really where I think, you know, there's real-time content and then there's real-time listening and then there's real-time marketing and everybody, it's, it's gotta be holistic within an organization. It can't be siloed in a, in a content team. No, that's great. I, um, there was like a couple things that, that, that I found like really great about this was that number one, we need to make sure that we're proactive, right? Because too much of, um, it's, it feels to me and I may be wrong, but I, I, you know, I don't know that, so much of the marketing and the strategy of the entertainment and sports and experience organizations has become reactive, right? Mm-hmm. And so social listening really requires you to be proactive. Number two is that now I'm going to create a branded hashtag for this podcast. I'm going to call it the B of fun, B O F F U N hashtag. Okay. That's it. That's what we're going to do that. Um, and then the third thing is, is that, um, really the the huge thing that you reminded me of with all of the engagement with the stars was another uh, is how meaningful any contact with the organization 
to the fan is because you oh, know it's like we talk about you're talking about the stars and again it happened because of me and who, what what I do but the thing is is like my son doesn't know any of this but last year or maybe it was this year at the beginning of the preseason you know I went to took him to a Caps preseason game and he got a tour of the locker room and like to him now it's like the greatest thing ever was the fact that he got a puck and he got to visit the locker room, um, which I know everybody doesn't get to do that, but it, it just highlights that, you know, you have the mix from the pregame and my son went to the locker room. Um, obviously one's a little, they're not at all comparable, but it's just how meaningful these contacts are with people right. and encouraging them. It, it, you know, it seems like really like maybe one of the easiest things that we can do with social media and real time content generation is just using them as touch points for the team because I know if you get a not necessarily me but like a lot of people oh my god if they get it or actually I take that back I got a reply from the Iron Sheik one time mm-hmm. and I thought it was the greatest thing ever the Iron right? Sheik uh, replied to a tweet I sent and I thought it was great I know that that's the same way that people feel about if their favorite team tweets back at them or um you know replies to something whatever and the reply the retweet so that's cheap. the new autograph yeah it's so cheap to do it's so easy to do and the value of it is just incredible yeah um, you know and so it like it just it should be like the barrier of you know like the low barrier to cross it is it, so great so like this is this is all like super awesome um now let me ask you this, because one of the things that I want to talk about a lot or as much as possible on this podcast, too, is how we can turn some of these ideas into actually getting people into the venues, right? Be, mm-hmm. it, be it a sports arena, a baseball park, a, a theater for a concert or a, you know, a performance, a play, a, a musical, whatever. And, and what do you see as the role of real time content and social media as tools to drive people into the building to make a purchase to to buy merchandise or to buy a ticket or to um you know buy a subscription or a membership or whatever it is yeah so i really feel that real time has to have an aim right you have to have a purpose for for all of your content all of your strategy you have to have some sort of goal in mind you have to understand what is the point of covering this event live? Why would we spend time and resources? And we talked about how big a content team has to be right now to do social well, to do real time well during a game or during an event or a campaign launch or whatever it is. So if you're investing the resources, the time, the energy, where what's the outcome in, in the quote unquote ROI, right? Social ROI is broken, says, says 90% of, um, you know, marketing teams. Well, I don't know that social ROI is broken. I think the expectations are broken and I really think how people are measuring is broken. Um, so when I was at the PGA tour, our overarching goal for social at that time was we want to just make any fan of the PGA tour, a better fan because a better fan tunes in that hits TV and they might consume more media on pgatour.com, right? So we get we had pre-roll ads on every video, we've got ads on every page and and people who are paying the website, the digital products to get exposure. So every time we could increase page views or video views, that had residual value to the business. Um if you watched one or engaged with one event and you can engage with two or three or four or you could go to your local event, you could sign up as a volunteer, you would take your kids to go see Jordan Spieth play golf. You know, 
that was all driving deeper fandom and that results in revenue to the business at some way. So if you, if you aren't uh, tying your social media strategy as a whole back to a business goal and you, then it's just as easy as just saying, okay, what's one outcome that we can measure and make that your aim. So, um, I'm also now in the consulting side, really looking at how people are, um, measuring social media and taking some of the ambiguity ambiguity out of social media metrics. So things like sentiment, what does sentiment really mean if 60% of your sentiment is always neutral? Like how do you gauge a temperature on that? Well, I'm, I'm working on statistics to understand how to throw out or um, de-emphasize all that neutral content and really hone in on what's positive, what's negative, and, and what are the, why things are changing. And I'm doing the same thing with engagement. So I'm looking at how we're measuring engagement and instead of lumping it all up and saying, hey, we had a thousand engagements during that game or during that announcement, that's great because usually we get 600. Well, if your thousand engagements were, you know, like 999 were likes and one was something that was of value to your business, then does that really matter if you only got one that was of value to your business? So how do you look at what uh, your likes, your comments, your shares, your video views or your clicks back to your site to buy a ticket, you can't weight those all the same. They're all different and they're all different based on the organization. And they could be different based on which social channel or content distribution channel that they come from. An email click might have the highest value to your organization because you know email is um, penetrates more than any other channel um, and into a one-to-one role. And so someone who clicks on an email might have a higher lifetime value as a customer, that click is more valuable than a click that comes from Twitter, likely. And, and that's awesome. And it's really great you brought up email because one of the, you know, maybe one of my pet peeves or one of my um, pet ideas is that even though email has been around for, I don't even know how long at this point, and that we have access Ever. to it. Yeah, it's been for, it seems like forever, right? I, I, I mean, I remember mailing letters, but um, is but the thing is, is that we don't, value email nearly enough in the context of generating and driving demand for our games or our events. Yeah. And you said that you, you put it very well. It's like almost like you pay attention to me sometimes if, when, I'm, when I'm sharing stuff with you about like focusing on the outcomes. And I feel like a lot of times these numbers like engagement or, um, you know, likes and all this stuff, they they are overemphasized for the simple fact that they're easy to measure, and um, and they're easy to collect. Yes, Trust me, that's exactly I mean, right. I mean, you you throw up a picture if you are the Cavs, you don't throw up a picture of you know bench warmer number eleven out of twelve, right? right. You throw up a picture of LeBron James, it's going to get forty thousand likes, and that's easy. If you need a boost, your social media metrics, that's a very easy way to do it, and I don't like that because it doesn't mean anything. So you really do have to tie those engagements. And I see, and maybe now because, again, as a consultant, I see the whole digital landscape and not just my little my little bucket of um, social media. But, you know, on a customer journey, you're going to have a ton of touch points. If you get them in on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram stories, but you can get them to subscribe to your mailing list for ticket offers or you can get them to get SMS um, messages or even, you know, some way that they're tied back to the team, right? So email, SMS, mobile app, social media, blog, podcast, video, like it's all just content touch points. And it's really about that overarching strategy of 
you know, how do you create content towards that funnel? And I think that in sports specifically, that's missing. That's the, that's the thing that when I came out of sports and into B2B and B2C consulting was like, we're not creating content to the funnel in sports because you don't have to, especially if your team's in the NBA finals or the Stanley Cup finals, right? That's, that's the funnel. The funnel ends with how your team performs on the field, but that's really not how we should be thinking about selling tickets. And, and as, again, see, you, you keep bringing up all these really great things. Um, well, this could, we yeah, can do this again. Uh, of course. <laughs> well, that's sort of the beauty of this thing too, is I can do whatever I want. <laughs> it's my podcast. Um, one of the things is, is all too often it feels like all of these numbers, the metrics, the measurements, the ticket sales, the ability to move merchandise is tied so much to winning. And, you know, how do you advise people to kind of defeat that thing, to build uh, digital assets and digital, you know, properties that actually create value um, with, you know, wins or losses be damned? Right. Um, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it really goes back to, um, starting with a customer experience first. So separating your experience with the team, with your, your experience with their wins and the losses. You know, I told you I have a four-year-old, he's very, very passionate about sports and he hates, hates losing to the point where when we turned on the Capitals Knights game three, the other night, um, and the score was, I think, four to two. Um, my son was like, I'm never rooting for the, for the Golden Knights again. This is a kid who literally has a Nike's costume from Halloween that he has been wearing for two weeks, you know, breaking swords left and right, you know, and, and he looks at the couch and he sits on the couch and watches the TV and he's like, nope, they're losing. I will never cheer for them again. Now he's four and there's another game tomorrow night. So take that for a grain of salt. But if you separate your emotions from the wins and the losses and you understand that uh, your customer experience and, and how you truly feel about a team, that's what can hook you. So you can still be doing that as a team. You can still be cultivating that customer experience, even if you're not in the playoffs. Um, again, using the Dallas Stars because I pay attention to them a lot, miss the playoffs <clears throat> again. And my husband is still, you know, a fan bless his heart. But, you know, their team, their team didn't make the playoffs, but their AHL team, the Texas stars is in the cup, their cup finals. So I've been getting a ton of content from the stars about the guys who are on, uh, the Dallas stars who are now playing for Texas stars as they go to the championship, um, about developing their prospects and, and what, and the whole conversation has shifted. So they're not tying me back to stars, wins and losses, um, in Dallas, but they're, they're tying me to players and the green and the gold and, and that thing and, and the history and, and the new opportunities and things. So they're cultivating an experience outside of wins and losses. And you can absolutely do that with content marketing. Yeah. That, I mean, again, this is like, uh, this, we've gone down all these roads that, you know, we didn't plan for, but one of the things that your example highlights is something that I scream or, or at least like, loudly talk about is the need to you know play to the nostalgia and the storytelling thing right so there i don't know what the what come happens before nostalgia but that's what the stars are doing there with their example of like you know 
let me get you engaged with the Dallas star or with the Texas stars now, because they're going to be the Dallas stars of the future. So I want you to exactly. feel like you already have a relationship with them, you know, so it's just extending the life cycle of your fandom, you know, not, I mean, again, you're unlikely to not ever not be a Dallas stars fan, but for some of these you know, kids who are maybe just learning about a sport or just engaging the storytelling aspect is something that I think is, um, just vital. And then it's Mm -hmm. also just, it's really a missed opportunity in a lot of cases, because I think there's a, um, often this sort of feeling that everybody already knows, everybody understands. And I think you have to, and, and this is the question is you need to constantly be educating people because you can't necessarily understand or know that they're they know the same thing that you think they know you so you have to mm-hmm. kind of always have to do a certain amount of educating even if it's repetitive in as a brand or somebody who was on the sports on the team side of this or the league side you know how did you walk that line how, how did you handle that so interesting i think that there was always we always knew where casual fans were going to need us. We're going to tune in, right? And golf is interesting in that there's a variety of different formats and scoring. So we knew if something was out of the norm, um, we were going to have to pay a lot more attention and do a little bit more explaining what is match play, what is Stableford, um, what are these scoring things. And that was not just in social media, that's content wide. And even even down to the, the, the broadcast, the NBC, CBS, Golf Channel broadcast. Um, so I think that there's that. And then What I see now is really you could actually divide that out into almost niches where, you know, if you really do have hardcore fans, um, people who are really passionate about a specific tournament, specific player, a specific level of golf or, or, you know, even course, you know, you could break that out into a Facebook group and just completely nerd out there, right? Grab a couple moderators and really get deep. You could bring those certain people into a focus group where they're the ones advising you on and um, on what to say, how to say it, or you empower them to kind of be your advocates and be responsive to some of the people that need a little bit of coming up. But going back to the LeBron James example, that there's always going to be an opportunity to use your your most beloved, your most visible players, brand attributes, um, you know, what have you, messages to kind of to do that in a way that doesn't turn off somebody who's like, yes, I know I've seen it. And maybe it's just the choice of visual right? Or the choice of video or delivery, video, podcast, et cetera, that even if someone knows it, that doesn't mean that they don't want to see it, hear it, think it, you know, or emphasize it or make them look smart by giving them something, content that they can share and put their own point of view on. Yeah. And I think if I'm not miss, you know, misunderstanding you here, it's sort of like you use the the content that you're creating in this context to help with that nostalgia thing and the storytelling thing that we talked about just a second ago. Right, right. Yeah. And okay, so and since you walked in, since we've kind of been beating around a, a little bit and talking a lot about golf, one of the <laughs> things I know that maybe as we, as this podcast goes up, it's probably not going to be out yet, but you're going to start your own podcast. And you said that you have still are very active with golf. And I know golf has taken a little bit of, a, had a little bit of a rough media thing lately <laughs> because they, you know, golf viewership has been down um participation has been a little lower than maybe it has been historically yet you are starting a lifestyle brand built around golf um, right so are you crazy or or, no, or, or and actually if you tell us about numbers, this 
So if you look at the numbers, and I don't have them, you know, in front of me, I don't have the the who are talking about disposal, but golf participation is up. Uh, golf viewership, especially this year with Tiger Woods coming back, is up. Um, now, you're never going to get a giant share, audience share, but people, the casual viewers who are tuning in to see if Tiger, you know, wins or flops um, is is huge. And participation, thanks to things like Top Golf, thanks to things like the LPGA Girls Golf Initiatives, um, participation is on the rise. Now, courses might be closing because they kind of way, way over expanded and, um, and overemphasized. So maybe courses are constricting or rounds might be constricting because golf is shifting, um, to kind of fit the current demographic, the current needs of the participants as well as the audience. Right. So you see, so PGA tour and uh, discovery announced this, uh, this week, a $2 billion deal world to create content worldwide. And PGA Tour actually owns six tours, right? We think of the one that Jordan and Ricky and Tiger play on as the PGA Tour. But they own the se- the PGA Tour Champions, which is the senior level. They own the Web.com Tour, which is the immediate development tour. The only way that you can get onto the PGA Tour now is through the Web.com Tour, the primary way. But they own tours in Latin America, in Canada, and in China. So you've got worldwide content um, each of these tours are producing, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 weeks of competition over the course of four days. Uh, then you add in, um, if the LPGA gets in on this deal, you know, then you've got even more worldwide content. So I think that the interest in the audience is still there. What I've seen now stepping outside of golf as an insider is that I relate to golf differently, um, not being in it every day. I relate to golf differently because I'm a mom and I have three kids. So not only do I want to use golf as a family activity and exercise for both us doing things, but also as a vehicle for travel um, and being outdoors, um, you know, getting away from technology is a, is a great way uh, to a reason to go golfing. And um, then also as self-care, because I grew up around golf, I obviously worked in golf Um and I'm trying to find ways that I can capture an hour a day or an opportunity to do some self-care, but also socialize, network, do business in golf. There's all these great opportunities, but no one's really talking about what a what a girl's trip to Bandon Dunes looks like, what it what it means to take your family to Blue Jack National um, for spring break, uh, you know, why golf courses um, have these huge opportunities on Sunday afternoons because parents don't want to be stuck with their kids in their house anymore at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Take them to the golf course, but courses have to allow us to be able to do that. Yesterday, um, as we're recording this podcast, so on June 5th was uh, Women's Golf Day, and it's not National Women's Golf Day. It's actually International Women's Golf Day, and over 50-some countries participated uh, in Women's Golf Day so the audience is clearly there. However, my like in Oregon and my Portland proper, there were four courses that literally participated in Women's Golf Day. So there's a lot of opportunity to start right here at home. There's a lot of global um, interest and attention on golf right now. And I think bringing the mom golf's perspective to that and talking about family and but talking about self and business and all of those opportunities, I think there's a voice for that. And I'm excited to be launching that um, as a way selfishly for me to get back into golf, to, to make it a priority for me again. 
Yeah, and I, I really like the way that you highlighted all these different things, especially something like Top Golf, because that reminded me of the Adam Silver interview that was with Strategy and Business a few weeks back, talking about um, bites and meals. And mm-hmm. I think maybe the what's going away is that attachment to golf is like you, you're only really golfing if you're doing nine or eighteen holes, because Top Golf is like really allowing people to you know, engage the whole family in golf and, you know, the driving ranges and opening the courses up to more, I think it's really a, a positive thing because, you know, we do need to disconnect and we do need uh, chances to find ways to be active with our family. Um, and I think, you know, so I think it's great. And, you know, if there's anything that, you know, I can do to help promote your brand, you let me know. And oh, I, I will. And I will tell my uh, audience to visit the website, which is moms, com. correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. Not golf moms. Nope. Although I probably will be one of those one day, but it's really about, you know, taking ownership of it's me and what I want to do. So mom golfs. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a great lesson for everybody is like, you know, the self-care thing is super important because it's very easy to always be tied up so heavily in what's going now, now, now that you forget to take care of you, you, you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think it's really like, you know, tying it to your family is just a, a really incredible lesson. Um, how can people find out more about you? You know, because I feel like we should, we could have gone on for, we could go on for another hour, um, but I don't necessarily know. <laughs> we might, That's okay. But. Um, so they can find me at laurenteague.com, T-E-A, mm-hmm. it's like league with a T, um, mm-hmm. or at laurentee, T-E-E, uh, on Twitter. Um, I speak, I consult, um, I, I'm happy to pick up the phone and do 15 minutes on why, you know, why something's important where you have to go, um, or one channel to look at. Uh, I do those calls quite frequently. So happy to have a spirited discussion on Twitter. Um, happy to, uh, to engage more and even come out and speak for an association membership, your business on using uh, real time content, using social media and unleashing it within your organization. Like we talked about, um, those kind of things. So that's where you can find me. Well, awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, happy to. Thank you so much, Dave. I always love talking to you. Once again, thank you for listening to the Business of Fun podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me, you can visit my website at www.davewakeman.com. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at David Wakeman. And if you have a comment, a concern, a potential guest, or you just want to give me some feedback, let me know. You can email me at dave at davewakeman.com. If you like the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe. You can find me on all the major platforms. And if you're so inclined, please leave a review. You know that I love it. So until next time, I'll see you then. Thanks again.